In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Morning, everybody. Encourage everybody to sing out this morning. <clears throat> I heard no. Father, and we just pray that the things that we do today 
will be acceptable in thy sight, Father. We pray, Father, that you would bless our congregation. We're so thankful, Father, for the ability that we have to come and to listen to thy word. We just pray, Father, that you would be with us this morning as Brother Ken presents the lesson to us. And, Father, that we would take it and enter our hearts and that we would apply it to our lives, Father, that we'd be better Christians. We're so thankful, Father, for the ability that we have during this trying time of this pandemic that for those, Father, that cannot assemble because of it, that we have avenues, Father, that they can uh, be part of our worship service, even, Father, that we are able to have the two services to, to, to keep people safe. Pray thy special blessings, Father, to be upon the leadership of our congregation, Father, our elders. Pray that you would be with each one of them and strengthen them, that the decisions that they make, Father, will be in accordance with thy will, and it would help build us up, Father. We pray for the deacons here that uh, as they labor, Father, to carry out the, the work here, the different tasks, that you would be with each one of them and, and to bless them, Father. We pray, Father, a special blessing now to be upon those that are sick or hurting. We have many of our number, Father, that are sick and have had surgeries and serious surgeries, and we just pray, Father, that you would be with each one of them, and we're so thankful for those, Father, that or better. We pray for those, Father, that are shut in on a continuous basis that um, in our nursing homes and shut in at home that's battling uh, different afflictions, Father, that you would be with each one of them. And we, we pray a special prayer today, Father, for Brother Ronnie Sarton. Uh, he's labored in your vine vineyard for many years, Father, and, and He's going through a, a rough time right now with, with the broken hip and the, and the COVID test positive and, and he and Sister Sarton. We pray a special blessing, Father, to be upon each one of them. Father, we just pray that you will go with us through this rest of this service and throughout all of our lives. And we know, Father, that we mess up and we just pray, Father, that we would always ask for thy forgiveness and turn away from those things, Father. But, Father, we're most thankful for thy precious Son, Jesus, who came and gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, Father, that through him, Father, we can have hope of eternal life. We just pray now that you would go with us throughout the rest of the service, throughout the rest of the day. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All day long the Jesus
chapter 22, verse 20. Revelation 22, verse 20. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. today. If you don't know it, I'm going to be a grandfather. And it was revealed yesterday that I'm going to be a grandfather to a little girl. Don't know her name yet, although we're giving some suggestions. But I've already been told by so many of you just how doting of a grandfather I shall be. I'm going to show you. <laughs> I'm already excited about it and just, well, we just cannot wait. Of course, all that's anticipatory, isn't it? Hasn't arrived yet, but the expectation of it is just so exciting for all of us. And you're our family, so you're going to be getting a little baby too. Isn't that great? I'm so glad you're here today. We had a we had a good gathering this morning out there in the parking lot. It was a little chilly, but we got along just fine. And I'm, I'm thankful that we're able to gather in this environmentally controlled building because it's just so comfortable. And some of you maybe are here for the first time. Maybe you've finally been able to venture out. We're glad you're here. I know we still have many of our members who are watching online, and we're glad for your participation as well. And we do have some visitors, and I've met a few of you, and we're just, we're honored to have you come and be a part of our assembly today. 
I'm going to be posing the question that's based on a statement in this short text. I know that the topic of the Lord's return is spoken of a lot in the scriptures. People who have more time on their hands than I have have gone through the New Testament scriptures and they say about one out of every 25 verses has something to say either directly or indirectly about the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. That means that there is also something about our relationship with the Lord that's anticipatory, something to look forward to. Today I'm going to be challenging us with whether or not we can say what John was saying. Come, Lord Jesus. Before we start that, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to assemble, to worship. And now as part of our worship, to meditate upon your word. I pray, Father, that you can remove any distractions and that we might be able to set our hearts on what you have said in your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to express it in the serious manner in which you did when you first wrote it. And that I can impress upon hearts today the importance of being ready for the return of your Son. I want it to be so that all of us could with great anticipation and joy and expectation be able to say at any moment, come Lord Jesus, because we know not the day nor the hour. But Lord, I just, I just pray so much we're all ready. Help me to communicate that and help those who are here today that are listening to be able to hear it, internalize it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll give you a little sampling of some of the things that the Scriptures say about the return of Jesus. You probably know Jesus said it himself. Now, he was talking to his disciples in this context, and he was really kind of breaking it to them that he was not just going to be leaving them, he's going to be dying on a cross. But don't worry, it's not over. And you're going to pick up where I've left off and it's going to be great. God's going to be with you. And if not that, the Holy Spirit's coming to make all this possible. But as he's soothing them in the beginning in John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know in the way you know. Jesus said, I'm going away. 
but I'm also going to be coming back. When Jesus was ascending to the Father, following his resurrection, and just prior to the establishment of the church, as he's ascending, the apostles are watching, and it's like they're, it's like they're mesmerized by what they see. I would have been, wouldn't you? As he's going up in the cloud, their thoughts are brought back to their work. And the angels tell them, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus would be returning in the same way that he left. You can expect that he's coming back. The Apostle Paul, when he was comforting first century Christians, perhaps there had been some sort of disconnect in their own minds regarding how the resurrection of Jesus actually applied to their own resurrection and some questions about when the Lord would return. If he returned in our lifetime, what about those folks that had died before? Is it going to be okay for them? And so Paul reveals some things in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Okay, so don't worry. The Lord is going to come back, and he's going to bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And then we're going to go meet them in the air, and we're going to be together forever and ever. And boy, that ought, to just, that ought to just fill your tank with great anticipation and great joy. Don't worry. But you do need to watch. And you need to watch and be ready so that when the Lord does return, it won't be like a thief in the night for you. You'll have been expecting his return. Well, question, when should I expect it? For the child of God, it is, I expect it any time now. Wait a minute. Anytime now. Yeah, just that. Anytime. You know, a day like today. Could be today. What we're doing is not an unfolding story as though you were reading it from a novel. You know, if you wanted to know how the novel turned out, you just 
skip a few chapters. You can't do that with this life because this is as far as it's been written. So we don't know when the Lord's going to return. It could be momentarily. What I like about the text that was read just a moment ago is the heart that John had. Now in Revelation 22 at verse 20, the one who is testifying of these things is actually Jesus Christ himself. And he says, surely I am coming quickly. And so John, I, I just try to put my, myself in John's shoes because he's gone through this whole thing. And boy, it was so exciting. When you get to the end and the Lord says, I'm coming quickly, he says, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. When I was in high school, I remember maybe facing some exam or something I didn't want to take. Maybe I didn't feel like I was prepared for it. I remember sometimes praying, Lord, please come, <laughs> please come, so I don't have to take this test. John was not being frivolous like that. John says, man, this whole business of, of this life being over and going to be in heaven with the Lord, man, that's amazing. Jesus, if you're ready to come, just come on right now. Can you say that? Can you say, come on, Lord? There are a lot of people today who dare not say it, who can't say it. For instance, those who embrace the world, they can't say, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus warned us about that actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but I'm afraid there are Christians even who will show up for a service like this, but their heart really, really isn't here. Now, it is for an hour or so, you know, going to go through the, the process of a worship, but if you look at the whole week, maybe the focus isn't what it ought to be. Maybe their heart is really an earth-bound, material-bound heart. You've heard people challenge you to take an exercise like opening up your checkbook and seeing where you spend your money. Or look at your calendar and see the events that you have scheduled and ask yourself, what, what percentage of this have I dedicated to the Lord? You know, that can be a telling exercise. We need to ask ourselves, where am I putting my treasure because where the treasure is, is indicative of where my heart is. And I'm going to warn you to find out, even if it's by accident, the evidence suggests to you that actually you've got more interest in things here than there. Then John says, 
boy, that focus is, is likely to cause you problems down the road. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 15, he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, if, if a lot of your confidence, and a lot of the, a lot of the things you're interested in are, are material, earthbound desires, that stuff's going away. I mean, it's, it's going to perish. What do you mean exactly, Ken? Well, how about a passage like you find in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What kind of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You get that? That's a contrast between what's melting. And by the way, that's dirt melting. Seen that happen much? Take you a frying pan and put it on the burner and turn the burner up as high as it'll go and throw you some dirt in there. You know what will happen? You'll have a dirty pan. You can't get it hot enough to melt that dirt. Now, I've seen melted dirt. It comes out of volcanoes. Melted dirt. Imagine not just a lava flow. Imagine an entire molten planet. The stuff that you have that's pretty precious to you, hey, don't lean up against my truck, right? Don't want you to... Seriously? That's not going to withstand that heat. Neither is that fancy boat with the wax on it, nor the house, nor nor the fancy clothes and the shoes and whatnot. All that stuff's going to perish. What matters? Holy conduct and godliness. That's what will transcend the heat. In fact, those terms in the original language are plural words. It isn't like this is just a state of being. These are activities, holy conducts and godlinesses. This is your life. Your life is not wrapped up in the stuff that's going to melt and burn. Your life is wrapped up in spiritual matters. That is, that is if your confidence is in spiritual things. You say, well, how do I put my treasure in heaven? In Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My commitment, my mind, my everything is heaven-focused. Or, or you could say it this way, as was said to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. See, that guy's wanting to justify himself by all of his good works, at least those that were the checklist off of the law of Moses. And Jesus is like, that's great. Sounds like you've got it all together. Then all you need to do is sell off that you have, give it to the poor, have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. 
Woo! That blew it apart. Because he had many possessions. He was more vested in the stuff than he was truly in following the Lord, being his disciple. Because to be the Lord's disciple, at least in his case, was going to require him to jettison all of the things that he loved. And the things that he loved just so happened to be worldly-based things. Can you imagine going away sorrowful because you just can't let go of the stuff? If that's you, well, if that's you, I'm pretty sure you can't say, come, Lord Jesus. For some people, they can't say, come, Lord Jesus, because, well, they reject the gospel. Let me tell you something about that, that to me, there are a handful of scriptures that I usually preface reading them by saying, these are some of the most terrifying verses of scripture in the Bible. Okay, so I've prefaced it. <laughs> Here's a few. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7 says that the Lord is going to descend from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel and do not believe in the Lord uh, and do not believe in God. For these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't obey the gospel, there's going to be a totally different scenario on the Lord's return from what we saw a moment ago. Now remember when we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what we saw. The Lord's coming, there's a trumpet blast and a shout. He's bringing with him those who are sleeping Jesus. We're going to ascend to meet them in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Yes! Can't wait. Exciting. A huge reunion in the air. I'm just thinking, what a glorious day. Come, Lord Jesus. But simultaneously is what's described here in 2 Thessalonians 1. Yeah, the Lord's coming from heaven. But for those who are unrighteous, who don't obey the gospel, who don't believe in God, those people are being met with flaming fire and the Lord taking vengeance on them. Is it important to obey the gospel? Nod your head this way. Important? It is the difference between eternal life and eternal separation from God. It's the difference between being involved in a grand reunion in the sky and being a part of the disillusionment of this entire planet, a flaming fire and the vengeance of God. Whoa! Now, the gospel has facts to be believed, okay? A lot of this is wrapped around whether you believe this or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, 
if you keep in memory what I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Right there are the basic truths of the Gospel. You believe those? You say, well, Ken, I believe some of that, but boy, some of that is just, you know, a little, little fanciful, a little difficult. Really? Jesus said in John 8, verse 24, if you do not believe that I am He, listen now, you will die in your sins. This is not a matter that's up for debate. Believe it or not believe it. If you believe it, that's going to open the door to your salvation. You don't believe it, it's slamming the door to your salvation. You say, I believe it. Well, then that's the first step. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So if you believe, you can obey the gospel. Now, the gospel also has some activities to go through, a demonstration of your obedience. Jesus talked about it. A lot of people wonder, well, what did Jesus say? You know, what did Jesus... Jesus said to his disciples as he's ascending to the Father, and they're taking responsibility for the, the beginning of the kingdom and the continuation building up of the church. In Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Why would they be condemned if they don't believe? Well, if you don't believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. So I believe, and then what? Well, I have to believe in order to be qualified to obey the gospel. Remember Romans 1, 16? Now he says, believe and be baptized. Baptism is the washing away of our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we're buried with him in baptism. We die there. We rise up out of that water a new creature. We've had our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. Why would anyone not do that? Because here's something that I, I've just noticed. People who tend to come to studies like this. I've known people who've attended studies like this, worship services, Bible classes, who will not obey the gospel for 10, 20 years. They come with a spouse or a friend. They hear these truths over and over and over and over again, but they never respond to it. Why would anybody do that? knowing that if they don't do it, they're going to be separated from God. One could be, well, they didn't know it. <laughs> they didn't know that. Somehow they didn't put that together. They say, well, I'm ignorant. I, I did not have that knowledge. Let today be the first day that you actually know that if you don't obey the gospel, you will not go to heaven. I didn't make that rule, so don't send me any hate letters. The Lord says, if you don't, you, you won't go to heaven. He's going to take vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. That's what the text said. So I must obey the gospel. Why would I not? Maybe I'm just ignorant. That is not an excuse. I do not stand before God and say, Lord, I, you know what? I was ignorant. You know, I heard Ken preach that. I didn't get it. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 was written in the context of a situation where people at one time were worshiping idol gods, false gods. You say, well, clearly that was not the true God. Well, to them it was. And there was a time when 
God just endured all of that in order to preserve his people to bring them to Christ so that he could save the whole world. And Acts 17 verse 30 says, the times of this ignorance God overlooked. But now, right now, he commands all men everywhere to repent. He's expecting everybody to repent, to turn away from their sins and obey the gospel. For some people, it is this notion, and I don't know when this started. I haven't heard this all my life. It's, it's kind of a modern take. But people want to believe in God, even modern folks. And they're like, well, yeah, okay, I believe in God, or I believe some idea of God, and here's what I want to believe about God. I want to believe that God is loving, and He's merciful, and He's gracious. Well, He is. He is. They said, now that God of the Old Testament, he was mean. You know, he killed a bunch of people. But God in the New Testament, good God. Well, sorry, peace. That's the same God. Same character. But here's the thing about God. God is a God of vengeance and jealousy toward those who turn their back on him, who refuse to accept him. He is that God of love and mercy and grace to those who are accepting, who are seeking after him. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody saved, but notice this. He says, I'm long-suffering, wanting them to come to repentance. I will endure waiting and hoping that people will repent of their sins, believe in my Son, obey the gospel. I can wait and wait and wait on them. But how long will he wait? Well, you know there is a limit to that. That, that might seem strange or startling to some of us, but there is a limit to the long-suffering of God. It's not called eternal suffering of God. It's called the long-suffering of God. He will wait a long, long time. But back in verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then was perished, being flooded with water. And he says, the heavens which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Who are these ungodly men? Those people who reject the gospel, who will not obey God. Is God long-suffering even with them? Yes, he is to a point. He was long-suffering with those people in the days of Noah. Noah, we generally agree, although I've heard all kinds of arguments, but we generally agree that Noah preached for about 120 years while building that fanciful huge ark, hoping that the people would repent, but they did not. Only eight souls were saved in that ark. Everybody else outside that ark perished. Up until the time that that door was shut, God's love and mercy and grace were on display. Even after that door was shut, God's love, mercy, and grace was on display, but it was on display on the inside. On the outside was the perdition of ungodly men. Those people died because they turned their heart on God. You say, well, for 120 years, God was long-suffering. He sure was. He waited in the days of Noah. 
But there was a limit to it, wasn't there? And he says, the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word. In other words, the word that held back the water from the atmosphere and the water from underneath, the, the word that kept that flood abated is the very exact same word that holds back the fire that will melt this planet. Ken, can you be more specific? Well, here's as specific as I know to be. There was a moment when God said, that's it, and the water started to come. And there will, boom, it could have just been then. But there will be a moment at which God says, that's it, and then the fire will be unleashed. Some of us will practically... We'll, we'll practically miss the whole thing. We'll be going to be with the Lord. Won't that be great? And we'll see all those loved ones from times past that were faithful to the Lord, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. But for everybody else, for the unrighteous, it's going to be awful. Those people who have not made that preparation, they can't say, Come, Lord Jesus. Are you crazy? And then those who drift away. Those people who drift away cannot say, Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Oh, I love it. Be faithful until death, and you will receive the crown of life. Love it. But if you're not faithful, it's just the opposite. Be faithful, you get. Be unfaithful, no. That idea of drifting away actually comes from Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, you've obeyed the gospel. Now you've turned back from it. This entire book was written to people who were debating, do I stay with Jesus, do I go back to the law of Moses? To drift away means that I was there for a while and I just gradually, over time, lost my place. Sometimes the Bible describes that drifting away as having lost your first love, as in Revelation 2, verse 4. Sometimes it's characterized as becoming lukewarm. Revelation 3.16. Sometimes it's the idea of wandering or erring from the way. James chapter 5, verses 19-20. Galatians 5.4 talks about falling from grace. You can call it a lot of things. But what it is, is having been faithful and then just slowly over time becoming less and less of what you once were with an emphasis upon the fact that I've become unfaithful. Jesus gives a parable, I think, that applies to that 
in the book of Luke, chapter 13, beginning at verse 6. It says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the keeper of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it waste the ground? And he answering said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well, but if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now originally that parable had its application with Israel. You know, Israel need to get, need to get its house in order. God had done everything that it could he could possibly do to benefit the nation of Israel. He had basically, as in this story, put them in a place they really didn't even belong. Putting a fig tree in a vineyard, <laughs> putting a fig tree in a vineyard means it was placed in, a, in an area where it's going to get super in uh, attention. It's going to be different from all of, all of the vines and grapes around it. It's, it's going to be unique. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give it everything that it needs. For three years, that tree was there and treated with the very best that, that the gardener had to offer, but it had produced nothing. And so the owner comes along and says, cut that thing off because it's just wasting resources. They say, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Let's give it another chance. Now for Israel, that was God saying, you know what, Israel, you, you've not borne fruit. You've not performed. But I'm going to send my son and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Well, bring that to us. Here we are. We have the Lord's church. You know, we didn't have to go through the first century birth pangs that they did. Well, the church has been established for a long time now. We didn't have to go through the process of building the building and, and trying to convert folks. We have inherited an awful lot. And here we are, a fig tree, planted in a vineyard. We have every resource at our disposal. We should be producing all kinds of fruit. But now look, do self-examination. Am I doing that? Am I producing any fruit? Is there somebody in the hereafter going, we need to cut that down because that's wasting resources. Lord, help us that we don't drift away, that we don't become faithless. Do you ever think, boy, I just need to get my act together. I need to get my act together. When are we going to do that, is my question. Can you say today, come Lord Jesus, can you say that? Can you say just like John, boy, I hear about the Lord, I, I hear about ascending and, and being with the Lord forever. Look, just come on right now, please. Let's get it going. Or are you just like terrified? No, not yet. Not yet. Well, how long will it be? We're on the ragged edge of history, meaning there's nothing, there's nothing written beyond this moment right here. So this moment is in your hand. What does it say for you? Does it say I'm ready? Does it say I'm lacking? If it says you're ready... Terrific. If it says you're lacking, then today's the day. Not tomorrow, not some other time, because we don't know when the Lord's going to return. It could be momentarily. It could be before the song is finished. But what you do will impact you for eternity. If you're a child of God and you've drifted away, be restored. Bear fruit. If you're not a child of God today, 
Obey the gospel. Ignorance is not an excuse. You can thank me for that. Obey the gospel. Have your sins washed away. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come up if you need to while we stand together and sing. I've wandered far away from God
to thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul, O my God? I trust in thee, so let me not be ashamed of my enemies' triumph over me. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for today and thank you for everything you mean to us. We thank you for this bread represents your son's body that was hung on a cross for our sins. And may we take a little please in your sight. Just name pray. Amen. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for staying. Thank you for all your many blessings. We want to take the time. Thank you for this cup, for since your son's blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. May our minds go back to the cross as we partake of it. Just now pray. Amen. Now we have the time to uh, thank the Lord for our blessings, uh, material and spiritually. Pray with me at this time, please. And Father, we thank you for the many blessings you give us, all material and spiritual. We thank you for our jobs and our livelihoods. We will take this time to give back a portion which you so wish to bless us with. Just now, pray. Amen. I'd like to welcome everyone to our Sunday morning worship service, especially to those online and our visitors. We hope you'll be able to worship with us again at our next scheduled service, which will be 5 p.m. this evening. Uh, I have several announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, I hope we're rejoicing with the angels in heaven at the ones who have responded this morning. Uh, please come by and congratulate them and tell them how much they mean to us and how we appreciate them. I do have several announcements this morning. Ronnie Sarton, brother of Margaret Ann Sanders, fell last night and broke his hip. Uh, he and his wife have also tested positive last Monday for COVID-19, so please keep them in your prayers. I have a note. Dear church family, thank you so much for all the love and kindness shown to us after Annette's death. The calls, cards, food, plant, and angel were greatly appreciated. Also, we want to thank all who helped with the meal prepared for us after her service. It was delicious. Your thoughtfulness and prayers have helped us so much during this difficult time. Please continue to pray for us in the days ahead. In Christian love, the Annette Deaton family. Also another card. Thanks to everyone for our, of our church family for the calls, the prayers, visits, phone calls, and food. It means so much to be a part of a wonderful family that we have here at Boomville. We love you all very much. Just keep us in your prayers and Christian love, Adrian and Connie Edge. We've also been asked to remember several. Uh, JT Beard, uh, he is home following surgery. Uh, they've changed his bio, uh, antibiotics, and he's got a, a drain in his back and another uh, 
doctor's visit this coming Tuesday. Mark Morris, uh, it's a friend of JT Beard. Uh, he's facing surgery in the upcoming days. Please remember him. Also, Tommy Barragona. I do believe Tommy's at home now. Uh, we also need to remember Ronnie Johnson, uh, still in the hospital, uh, IV antibiotics. Uh, Ruth Staley, that's Annette's mom. Also, Brenda Dawson, uh, Martha and Harold Eaton. I do see Harold here this morning. Proud to have him here. And we're also been asked to member the Junior Barber family. This is the brother of Calvin and Boyce and the uncle of Tony Brown. He passed away recently. That's all the announcements I have right now. Uh, if you would please stand, we'll be dismissed. But I do ask you to remember to uh, uh, dismiss uh, by rows, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to gather together today, Father, to worship you. Father, we especially pray for those who have responded today. Father, be with them, comfort them, strengthen them, and may they be an example to the rest of us that we may all strive to do thy will. Father, we pray for those we've mentioned as sick, those who are uh, in the hospital, those under doctor's care, Father, please be with the physicians and the nurses and all the caregivers that they may do what's necessary for them to recover. Father, also for those who have lost loved ones, Father, we pray that you will comfort them as only you can and that they may, the family may look to you in the days coming for strength and guidance. Father, we pray that you will be with us all as we go forth into the world, that we may let thy light shine in us so that others may see you through us. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.